The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. This week, I'm asking a question which I'd really rather not be thinking about. And it's this. Can Catholics stop their church from destroying itself? It's a question that would have seemed absolutely inconceivable three or four years ago, but particularly over the last couple of months has now sadly become inescapable. I've been kind of putting off doing a tour d'horizon of all the terrible things that are happening in the Catholic Church at the moment. The last Holy Smoke was about the Pope's dreadful ban on the ancient Latin liturgy, but that has now to be put in context. And the context is one of a pontificate, but also perhaps also a papacy and even a church that seems to be falling apart in front of our eyes. Let's begin with two important court cases. Two bishops who are extremely close, albeit in different ways, to Pope Francis. One of them was a personal younger protégé, an Argentinian bishop. The other, his effective chief of staff, now a cardinal, are facing really serious criminal charges. And in both those court cases, the question of how much Pope Francis knew is a very pressing one. The first case involving Argentinian bishop Gustavo Zanqueta is in many ways the more straightforward one. And it's also the one in which the Pope's behaviour is pretty much inexplicable. Let me quote from an authoritative news report by the Catholic news agency dated August the 7th. It says Argentine Bishop Gustavo Zanqueta will go on trial on sexual abuse charges in October. The public prosecutor's office of the Argentine province of Salta announced on August the 6th that the trial would take place on October the 12th to the 15th. Zanqueta was given a Vatican post by Pope Francis after he resigned as Bishop of Oran, northwest Argentina, in 2017. The 57-year-old bishop is charged with simple sexual abuse, aggravated by being committed by an officially recognised minister of religion against two men identified only by their initials. Sanqueta has denied the allegation. Pope Francis named Sanqueta as Bishop of Oran on July the 23rd, 2013, in one of his first Episcopal appointments in his homeland of Argentina. After resigning as the head of Oran Diocese for, quote, health reasons at the age of 53, Sanqueta was appointed to the specially created position of assessor at the Vatican's administration of the patrimony of the Holy See. APSA, as it's known, oversees the Vatican's real estate holdings and other sovereign assets. End quote. So here's a man very close to Francis, whom the new Pope appointed bishop almost immediately on taking office, and yet who resigned for health reasons, and it appears in scare quotes in the Catholic News Agency report, because nobody believes it was health reasons, very, very quickly. What was really going on? Well, the truth is that Zanchetta faced claims that he spectacularly mismanaged the finances of his diocese. 
and those claims are supported by what happened after he was charged with alleged sexual abuse. To quote the Catholic News Agency again, Oran's Economic Crime Unit raided offices in the Chancery in November 2019. The raid was carried out to investigate Zanchetta's alleged fraud against the state, according to the local newspaper El Oranense. And to be clear about this, Zanchetta was suspected of, at the very least, spectacular financial mismanagement before Pope Francis decided to give him a post in the body that oversees Catholic investments. Absolutely incredible. Moreover, to make matters much worse, as early as 2015, the Pope knew that Zanchetta had been accused of sexually inappropriate behaviour, and specifically that on his mobile phone there had been discovered, and I'm quoting Catholic News Agency again, images depicting young people having sex in addition to lewd images of Zanchetta himself. It's a matter of record that Francis asked Zanchetta about these images in 2015, probably actually saw them but decided to take no action after accepting Zanchetta's explanation, let's put that in quotes, that his cell phone had been hacked and that the accusations were motivated by ill feeling towards Francis. And I think it's fair to say that it's putting it mildly to say that this explanation was greeted with extreme scepticism by pretty much everybody else in the Catholic Church. And whether Francis believed it himself or not is, I think, an open question. Anyway, Zanchetta's trial is finally getting underway. It's been delayed by Covid, but it was also delayed by the fact that the Pope chose to give this famous financial bungler a role inside the sovereign Vatican city-state, which meant that Argentine prosecutors found it very difficult to get at him, as the Pope would have been well aware. And now the far more complex, indeed truly Byzantine case of Archbishop, now Cardinal, Angelo Becciu who in his previous job as the number two in the Secretariat of State was effectively Pope Francis's chief of staff. Let me now quote a BBC report from the end of last month. A Roman Catholic cardinal who was once a close ally of Pope Francis has gone on trial at the Vatican, accused of misusing church funds in a ruinous London property venture. Cardinal Andrew Becciu, 73, is the most senior cleric in modern times to face trial for alleged financial crimes. He's charged with spending £300 million of church money on a botched deal to buy a property in Chelsea that incurred huge losses. He denies wrongdoing. A two-year investigation exposed how the Vatican lost millions of euros, including donations from worshippers, after buying a former Harrods warehouse in Sloan Avenue, Chelsea, in 2014. The Cardinal was formally in charge of donations, key point, at the Secretariat, which handles Vatican funds. The charges against him include allegedly channeling money to businesses run by his brothers in their native Sardinia. Nine, that's nine, other defendants are also accused of crimes, including extortion, embezzlement, money laundering and abuse of office. And they include the Swiss lawyer René Brulhart, who previously headed the Vatican's financial regulation body. Sorry for the cliché, but you couldn't make it up. Now, at this point, defenders of Pope Francis will say, yes, but this is a culture of corruption which he inherited, and they are absolutely right about that. Corruption under Benedict XVI was nothing short of grotesque. And when Francis was elected, he said he was going to clean it up. 
and he appointed Cardinal George Pell from Australia, a famous bruiser with, as I've said elsewhere, a very keen nose for bullshit, to bang heads together. Pell quickly realised that the first head he needed to bang was that of then Archbishop Angelo Becciu, whereupon Becciu tried to get the Vatican's first independent auditor, appointed on the advice of Pearl, jailed for doing his job properly and looking into the many, many dodgy investments and expenditures that were incurred by the Vatican while Becciu had his very sensitive job at the Secretariat of State. The Auditor-General, a man of impeccable reputation called Libero Maloney, was threatened with being thrown into one of the jail cells that actually exist and are used surprisingly often in the Vatican. And at this point, Cardinal Pell couldn't help him because he was being yanked back to Australia on what turned out to be disgracefully trumped-up charges of sex abuse, charges which those corrupt clerics in the Vatican whom Pell had in his sights were very keen to see him convicted on, and may indeed have cooperated with the very anti-Catholic police authorities in the Australian state of Victoria while the case was proceeding. They were not best pleased, needless to say, when Cardinal Pearl's conviction was completely overturned by the High Court of Australia, and nor were various liberal Catholic journalists terribly pleased, since they loathed Pearl for his conservative stance on various matters and had made idiots of themselves by presenting Betchu as an instrument of Francis's financial reforms, which never happened. Now, you could argue that the very fact that it's been the Vatican that's prosecuted Betchu after he left his job in 2018 points to the fact that Francis is finally getting round to reforming Vatican finances. I just don't buy that, and for one simple reason. Betchu was eased out of his job in 2018 because the rumours of financial skullduggery were becoming absolutely overpowering. At which point, what did Pope Francis do? Yup, he made Betchu a cardinal and put him in charge of the department for making saints in the Catholic Church. Well, certainly less influential than his previous job, but nonetheless it carried a red hat with it and that's the one thing that ambitious Vatican clergy crave more than anything else because it means they can vote in the next conclave and possibly come the next pope. Now, and I'm sorry this is so complicated, but that's the Vatican for you. It's true that last year, Pope Francis unceremoniously sacked Betru from his job running the Congregation for the Cause of Saints, and indeed told him that he would no longer enjoy many of the privileges that go with being a cardinal. And he did that very brutally, possibly in one of his famous rages. Thoroughly justified rage, you might say. But why did he make him a cardinal in the first place? It reminds me a bit of Francis very theatrically sacking Theodore McCarrick, former Archbishop of Washington, as a cardinal, and indeed laicizing him, only at the point at which the secular press in America had got hold of allegations that McCarrick was guilty of abusing minors, and he now faces a criminal charge on that account, despite being in his mid-90s. But Francis had known about McCarrick's reputation as a sexual predator since becoming Pope in 2013, possibly before that. 
and he chose to do nothing. In fact, on the contrary, he rehabilitated McCarrick and sent him all over the world, including to China, where McCarrick helped to negotiate the completely indefensible deal whereby loyal Chinese Catholics are basically handed over to their persecutors in the puppet Chinese Catholic Church run by Beijing, which the Pope now recognises. You may think that that's a grave failure of Vatican foreign policy and nothing to do with sexual or financial scandals, but not so fast. We should at least consider the possibility floated by the Catholic news website The Pillar that Beijing had got hold of all the data relating to the use of the gay hookup app Grinder by clergy inside the Vatican, given that in 2018, when the Beijing deal was negotiated, Grinder was Chinese-owned, and Beijing will almost certainly have had the relevant data. Very useful material for blackmailing, which is, of course, China's normal modus operandi. It's all such an incredible mess. And I haven't even mentioned half a dozen other bishops, either guilty of or complicit in sex abuse, to whom Francis has turned a blind eye while pretending to be a reformer. And I do mean pretending. And this pervasive sense of double standards extends well beyond questions of criminality. I mentioned the puppet church run by Beijing, now recognised as part of the official Catholic Church by Pope Francis. Now, the very few people who defend the pact can talk till they're blue in the face about the fact that there was a grey area between the two churches, which is true. But as Father Benedict Keeley pointed out the other day, it's a fact that there are now churches in China where Mass begins with a hymn sung to President Xi. It's a deification or near deification of the civil authority, reminiscent of the Roman Empire. The difference being that the church is okay with this. And under Francis, the church is also okay with the Pope and bishops grovelling in front of what may be a pagan idol, if you think in those terms, or may just be a disgusting fake tourist trinket called the Paca Mama, but isn't okay with priests and bishops celebrating the ancient rite of the Catholic Church in the West. And actually, it's easy to move from double standards to outright dishonesty. Because if you read the horrible, clumsy and confusing apostolic letter Traditionis Custodis, dating from last month, in which Pope Francis did his best to ban as many celebrations of the traditional Latin Mass as possible, you'll discover all sorts of obviously bogus excuses for clamping down on liturgies which Pope Benedict XVI wished to see restored and promoted, even if he recognised that they weren't going to become the norm in the Church. Most Catholics want Mass in the vernacular, and that's just a fact. How far back in Catholic history do you have to go to find a pontificate which treats the faithful with such open scorn? Pope Paul VI, whatever you think of the liturgical reform that he initiated, would never have dreamt of doing so. Nor can you possibly imagine him being caught out saying things in interviews on the papal plane which turn out to be simply not true. Catholics who, until now, have been encouraged to treat the Pope as almost a living saint, or in the case of John Paul II, some sort of ecclesiastical rock star, are now learning the hard way that the particular hierarchical structure of the Catholic Church really does mean that the fish rots from the head down. A Pope whom the media naively still believe is essentially a democratic figure, 
who wishes to devolve his power, turns out to be one of the most authoritarian pontiffs for centuries. They all make bad appointments, God knows. John Paul II made plenty of them. But the thing about Francis's bad appointments is that they follow a particular pattern. They are made for political reasons, or so it seems. And that does nothing to encourage confidence in the authority of the Pope. The only possible upside to this is that many ordinary, fairly conservative Catholics, those friendly to the old right of the Mass, for example, can make their displeasure known to the world at large and to their bishops, with perhaps fewer qualms than in the past, perhaps sensing that many middle-of-the-road bishops long ago lost patience with this particular Pope. For example, the sheer bullying unfairness of traditionis custodis means that lots of bishops are very reluctant to implement it. And as it happens, this weekend, on Saturday and Sunday, there are two opportunities on either side of the Atlantic for Catholics friendly to the old right, who may not wish to attend it, but who recognise the petty vindictiveness and incoherence of this latest sinister document, to make their displeasure known to the rest of the Church. On Saturday afternoon, in Westminster Cathedral, the Latin Mass Society is holding a solemn Mass. And on Sunday, in Philadelphia Cathedral, there is a Pontifical High Mass, celebrated by Bishop Joseph Perry and with music supervised by the world-famous Scottish composer Sir James Macmillan. A spectacular attendance of those services, and it would have to be spectacular, would send an important message to bishops and cardinals that this pontificate has been a disaster. It has trampled on the rights of the faithful. And it has done so not just in the area of liturgy, but in almost any area you care to name, whether it's doctrinal consistency or sexual and financial probity. Because the man in whom so much power is invested has quite simply abused it at every turn. Of course, that doesn't really answer the question with which I began, which is, can Catholics stop their church falling apart in front of their eyes? But what we can say is that all the scandals in which Francis is implicated, together with the devastating and still not yet fully understood impact of Covid, means that the next College of Cardinals must choose its man much more carefully. Because one thing's for sure, the Catholic Church may conceivably be able to survive one bad Pope, but it certainly can't survive two in succession. Not in the modern world, where they're very well informed about the horrors perpetrated by senior clergy. Well informed on social media, that is, rather than in the mainstream media, which ignores or misrepresents the Catholic Church, to say nothing of the dying remains of the Catholic press. But that social media really matters, which is why mediocre bishops, and most bishops are mediocre, dislike it so much, but are beginning to pay more attention to it. And in my more optimistic moments, and they don't come very often, I can just about persuade myself that the world's cardinals will be prepared to overlook partisan divisions in their determination to restore moral integrity to the Sea of Peter. It can't happen soon enough. <laughs>